we've been mentioning a few times that the metta practice really is an act of generosity. So tonight I'd like to look a little bit more at this uh, specific quality of generosity, not just in regard to the metta practice, but as a spiritual quality as a general. And I'd like to begin with a quote by Ajahn Chah, who was a monk in the Thai forest tradition. He was the teacher of my Uh, one of my most important teachers of Ajahn Sumedho. When we give, what is it that we are giving away? The practice of generosity is for letting go of selfishness and deluded self-use. If we are lost in selfishness, it shows we don't genuinely care for ourselves don't know how to really love ourselves. But with this practice of giving, such attitudes are cleansed, leaving a heart of compassion towards all beings without exception. So before looking a bit closer at this wonderful quality of generosity, there's the question why Are we not always generous? What blocks us? And Carol talked about it yesterday, specifically with or in regard of the metta practice. Those mind states and energies that lay at the basis of all our unwholesome tendencies, first of all, are incorrect, deluded perception of reality, and from that view reacting with all forms of attachment and aversions. And whenever we experience ourselves as an isolated, independent, self-relying being, we have to defend and protect our well-being. We are open to or even wish to have more of what we like, to what pleases us, or what promises to give us pleasant feelings. But we close down to the unpleasant, or potentially unpleasant. And we react with fear, aversion, and try to get rid of this experience. And Dharma practice really questions this behavior as really being effective and successful. As we all know, practice takes over and over a courageous intention to learn to open to all the various manifestations of life. A moment-to-moment devotion to this process that we call life. And we see more and more that it's difficult to draw clear-cut lines and say, 
This and here is exactly me, and that and there is the other. And in those times, something changes. We experience ourselves more embedded and more connected. And instead of holding on, there's more often uh, letting go. Instead of a closed fist, there's more frequently an open hand. And instead of asking what or where can I get something, the question more often arises, how can I best serve the world, the being's life as a whole? There's a poet, poem by Rumi, again, the famous Sufi poet. He says, Peaceful is the one who's not concerned with having more or less. Unbound by name and fame, one is free from sorrow from the world and mostly from oneself. And in those moments when we are free or when we are freer from ourselves, there's natural openness and a natural generosity. Of course, generosity has many ways to express itself. Sometimes it means to get out of the way to put our wishes and preferences aside, not from a lack of self-esteem, in contrary, from a deeper knowing and respect of what makes us truly happy. Generosity, very practically, might express itself by offering a nice room to another person or leaving the last dessert to the person after us. Or someone takes our dirty plate after lunch and cleans it for us. Something which happens quite often here in the center. Or a totally different expression of generosity and openness not locking each other in our little mind boxes, or if we do so, being willing to open the locks again. Here's another story, another way of generosity. Quite some years ago, I read an article in a Bernese newspaper about a very practical example of this quality that happened just down here in Interlaken. It said, Even in extraordinary situations, hotel owners of the Bernese Oberland are at hand for their guests. When Marianne Kurzen, owner of the Hotel Royal Saint-Georges, it's actually a hotel down in Interlaken, went for a walk along the river, she saw an older lady stumbling and falling into the river. 
The courageous hotel owner jumped into the cold water and rescued the lady. The very moment the lady could breathe again, she complained about the loss of her expensive wig, the peruque. Without hesitation, the hotel owner jumped into the river again and saved the precious wig as well. There's an interesting list of five blessings that someone practicing generosity receives. Appreciation from the many, noble relationships, good reputation, heavenly rebirth, and self-confidence. I find that especially the last one, quite interesting. Self-confidence seems to arise from uh, generosity. But as long as we are not fully enlightened yet, we experience ourselves again and again, or maybe even most of the time, as an isolated being, as the center of the universe that is convinced that holding on leads to more happiness. And therefore it is essential that we train ourselves in generosity so that we can experience our interconnectedness in this way. Kitisaro, a Buddhist teacher, told me this true story that illustrates our interconnectedness and the healing effect of generosity. He said that when he was still a monk and living in a monastery in England, He was very ill and weak and wasn't able to attend the regular Pati Mokha, which is the recitation of the monks' rules that they do uh, often together. And lying in his bed, he looked out the window and saw a layman who lived in the monastery going towards the forest with a rope in his hand. Knowing that this wasn't a good sign, Kitisaro then, although feeling sick and weak, jumped out of his bed and searched for the man. And when he found him, he talked to him, trying to persuade him that it wasn't a good idea to kill himself. And it was a very cold day, And the man, who was just about to kill himself, himself, saw that Kitisaro's teeth were chattering because he was so cold. And spontaneously, the man offered Kitisaro his leather jacket. And he accepted it gratefully. And Kitisaro said that At this moment, when he gave him this leather jacket and he he received it, 
something shifted in the energy. And the story really has a good ending. Then finally he could persuade the man not to uh, use his rope to make an end to his life and went back with him. So generosity is very powerful and healing. Receiving generosity also is very powerful and healing. But we can be pretty sure whenever we intend training ourselves in letting go, in generosity, inevitably our attachments become more visible. Whenever we practice settling our attention on the breath, we inevitably become aware when our attention is somewhere else. Whenever we incline our mind towards metta, using the phrases, the non-metta moments become more visible, more tangible. They stand out more clearly. So if we intend to be generous, the moments of being stingy, holding on, are highlighted. So it's not a matter of I should be generous. And when I see I'm not beating myself up. Dharma practice is a journey of discovery, of investigation, of exploration where our true happiness is. In one of the texts it says that generosity brings happiness at every stage. We experience joy in forming the intention to be generous. We experience joy in the actual act of giving. And we experience joy in remembering the fact that we have been generous. In certain texts, one finds the distinctions between three kinds of generous acts or gifts. First one, the material gifts. Second, the gifts of the heart or the mind. And thirdly, the gifts of Dharma. And I'd just like to go through all these three uh, areas briefly. The first one may be the most obvious for us, material gifts, food, clothing, medicine, shelter, money. I think we all know before our very basic needs are met, we can't meet our spiritual needs. So those gifts of material things are very essential. In regard to money, I had quite a touching experience that showed me how contagious inner attitudes are, precisely because we are connected with each other. 
It was one of those many situations near the station of Bern where a man asked me for some money, situation that probably all of you have had at one time or another. And I searched for my purse and due to a lack of change or perhaps due to a true moment of generosity from my side, I don't really know, I gave him a 20 franc bill. The man, obviously totally surprised to get 20 francs, very spontaneously and full-heartedly replied, Oh, exactly the Namitak. Which is in English something like, May you have a blessed afternoon. And amazingly to me, I was totally uh, surprised to hear that from this man. Uh, The afternoon after that actually was blessed. Before this encounter, my mood hadn't been very, um, had been rather low. And afterwards, I really continued the afternoon quite joyful. So my generosity had returned as a blessing, really. Sometime later, actually not very long time ago, I had a very similar situation. Again, in the station of Bern, a man came, asked me for money. I gave him quite a bit, maybe a little bit more than he, he was used to get. And a few hours later, the same man came again, asked me for some money, obviously not recognizing me. And I told him that I just had, you know, an hour or two ago given him some money. So he left me and a few minutes later came back and offered me a candy. So the gift of material things, I think we could for make a long list about all many other possibilities. The second one, gifts of heart and mind, sometimes it's also called the gift of fearlessness, the gift of non-harming that we can give each other and to ourselves. The gift of peacefulness. It's the whole area of Sheila, of ethical uh, behavior. And I remember the time when I lived about one and a half years in that very same monastery that Kitty Sarah lived, uh, the monk I spoke about. And over and over, I was aware then of the effect it had on me that we were all living together within the precepts of non-harming. And of of course, the community was made up of individuals with different opinions, ideas, and we all needed to learn, as all other groups, 
people that live together, we had to learn how to deal wisely with aggression. But just the fact that all members agree to undertake the practice of non-harming created an atmosphere of safety. And that's really also what happens in a retreat like this. When we all, uh, at the beginning, uh, take those guidelines of not harming, of of protecting life. The gift of fearlessness can also be the gift of shelter, of protection from the elements of nature, or protection from being killed. And again, a very practical example uh, that I know about is the the so-called, in German, called Gnadenhof, that Vanya Palmers, who is a a Zen teacher, he's also the founder of the Felsentor, another uh, center near Lucerne. And Vanya, he owns also, apart from that center where they offer retreats as we do, he owns a farm where animals all kinds of animals, pigs, horses, cows, goats, chickens, many others, uh, that are of no use anymore, can live until they die. And when I spoke with Vanya, he said, he's, of course, he's quite aware that it's, as we say in German, it's only a drop on a hot stone uh, because he's only able to take uh, a few of those animals in uh, to his farm. But he can at least make a point with this. And of course, for those few lucky ones who are able to live there, it's not just a drop. It's actually their life. that They can have a, a happy life till they die. Gifts of the heart are also giving encouragement, inspiration, acknowledgement, compliments to give ease, love, hope, confidence, reassurance, humor that enrich and lighten up other people's life. When I just mentioned my time in this Buddhist monastery in Chithurst in England. It was also that time that was quite painful because my partner then decided to ordain as a monk. And as often in life, the situation was quite complex. I probably could have stopped him from ordaining, but this wouldn't have solved the problem either, since our relationship had become rather difficult. So ordaining, not ordaining, both possibilities seemed painful to me. And I remember having talked about my dilemma to, again, to Kitty Saro, that very same monk, because uh, we had 
he was quite helpful for me at that time. And having listened to my self-doubts and worries and, and fears, he uh, said something like, you are doing very well in all this. And his response had a very strong effect on me. And I think it wasn't so much his words, but probably more so the attitude that these words are carrying with them. There was the attitude of a kind of acknowledgement that sometimes life just is difficult and that I'm actually dealing with it quite well. And the feeling guilty, you know, this inner voice that we sometimes have if things don't go the way we think they should go, like if I would do better, it wouldn't be so, it wouldn't be so unpleasant. This just dropped away by his response. And quite some years later, when I met him again, I told him this story and how helpful it had been for me because it really stayed with me for quite some time. And of course, he couldn't remember. <laughs> but we never really know what effect a seemingly insignificant encouragement or compliment has on ourselves and on others. Someone once wrote, when you let go of your concerns and concentrate on helping other people with their difficulties, you will be able to cope with your own more effectively. Somehow, the act of self-giving is a personal power-releasing factor. So we all help each other. It's not always the same person who is on top. So there's the gift of material things, the gift of the heart, of fearlessness, and thirdly, the gift of the Dharma. To bestow the Dharma that leads to deep wisdom, compassion, sharing our insights, offering tools that others can use that were perhaps helpful for us in our life. And of course, here we have to be careful, you know, whether those uh, advices or tools uh, are actually wanted for the persons we offer them. Part of that area is also producing, distributing, offering Dharma books, conversations about teachings, about practice, organizing talks, retreats, setting up supporting monasteries, meditation centers, groups, or offering a meal for meditators and those who support them. Again, a very 
uh, touching experience. I remember when I was practicing in Burma for uh, in a monastery. After about one week into the retreat, once during a sitting in the hall, we heard some whispering outside the meditation hall. And when the sitting ended, we found about 20 or 30 flip-flop shoes in different colors outside on the veranda. And the, the women from the village who also came to support us, cook, and, and sometimes uh, take care of the grounds, they had uh, bought those flip-flops for all the women meditators and put them outside <laughs> so that we could choose when we come out. It says that the gift of the Dharma is so precious because it helps the recipient to help themselves. There's a Chinese saying that says, if you give a man a fish, he has lunch and maybe dinner today. But if you teach him how to fish, he has meals for himself, his family, and his village forever. And what is true for all three kinds of generosity, the material gifts, the gifts of the heart, the gifts of dharma, sometimes we feel rich inside or outside and our generosity comes out of this abundance. And sometimes we feel as if there's nothing left to give and we only experience our generosity after we have given anyway. And again, I'd like to emphasize generosity is a practice. It's learning to deal with our very basic habit to cling, to protect, to defend, assuming that this will bring us more happiness and connectedness. This is a text by Father Theophane. He was a Christian monk who, as I've been told, I hope it's right, he came to practice at the Inside Meditation Society at some time. He did a couple of three months retreats, right? And he also wrote a little book that's called Tales of a Magic Monastery. And one of those tales is called The Pearl of Great Price. He asked me what I was looking for. Frankly, I said, I'm looking for the pearl of great price. He slipped his hand into his pocket drew it out and gave it to me. It was just like that. I was speechless. Then I began to protest. You don't want to give it to me. Don't you want to keep it for yourself? When I kept this up, he said finally, Look, is it better to have the pearl of great price or to give it away? Well, 
Now I have it. I don't tell anyone. From somewhere would be just disbelief and ridicule. You? You have the pearl of great price? Ha! Huh. Others would be jealous or someone might steal it. Yes, I do have it. But there's that question. Is it better to have it or to give it away? How long will that question rob me of my joy? So generosity isn't a command chiseled in stone. It's a process written in water, always new, always open. And therefore we find ourselves in various situations with it. Sometimes we give our best and we give it wholeheartedly. Sometimes we give something good and we give it with some hesitation. And sometimes we give something insignificant and even regret it later. As we have been mentioning many times, the practice of metta is another expression of this quality, this appreciative attitude in our mind that cares, that offers space to breathe, to live, to unfold. And with metta, we offer the gift of peacefulness, of fearlessness also. We stop being a problem, a burden for ourselves and for others. And in a moment of metta, we offer our good wishes without wanting anything in return. And if we don't always succeed, we do it anyway by practicing tolerance towards ourselves. Another aspect of generosity and of metta I'd like to mention again, although Fred mentioned it in his talk the other night, is that of forgiveness and of tolerance. Forgiveness is an expression of a generous mind. And it's also a practice of letting go. We let go what keeps our heart closed, the grudge, the guilt, our stubborn resolutions and convictions. Forgiveness creates space for renewal for an unburdened life. And we offer forgiveness to others and to ourselves, as Fred has mentioned. And to forgive doesn't mean to approve of injustice, of violence, of abuse, but it means to step out of the role of a victim and to stand up for our own dignity. Instead of remaining paralyzed by ill will or guilt, forgiveness enables us to heal ourselves, to heal situations, relationships. And sometimes forgiveness 
releases long forgotten energies like waking up from a curse or from a spell. And also forgiveness, of course, is a process in which many contradictory emotions may arise. Emotions such as anger, shame, conceit, confusion, doubt, denial, sadness. And we let them come and we let them go. We allow all these conditions to be recognized in a generous, open, tolerant space of our mind. Knowing that they've been acknowledged, we let them go at ease. Forgiveness, but of course also tolerance, means learning to relax with our imperfections and shortcomings then we have more likely the capacity to relax with the imperfections of others as well. And tolerance means not holding tightly to our opinions, preferences and conclusions that we all have made and still make in our life. And I'd like to remind again here, in our practice of generosity, we inevitably meet our attachments. Sometimes we can just drop them the very moment we recognize them. We see it's just been a habit that we can let go of. And at other times they are tied to a lot of energy, those attachments not just written in water or in sand, but really like chiseled in stone. And then we need a wise way to deal with them, not denying, but also not defending. Are we able and willing to just listen to them in those moments? Listen with interest and with compassion. And if so, or in all those moments, their transparent nature will reveal itself. So to close, I'd just like to mention one last uh, inner attitude of generosity, and that is that of the practice of dedication as we end our practice day here in the retreat in the evening. We deliberately acknowledge the wholesome, the good that arises from our practice. Or if we wish so, we can even picture the good from the past, the present, even the good from the future and dedicate it to the welfare of all sentient beings. And perhaps not even our own goodness, but the goodness that exists everywhere, in all times. And I find that this kind of generosity really carries us through rough and difficult times. And we all experience them, of course. Because if I 
practice just for my well-being, for my peace, my salvation, then my peace, my meditation is easily disturbed. When the vessel, our mind, our heart is rather narrow, self-centered, then doubt, discontent can easily take up more space. But if there's more spaciousness, more openness, then negativity evaporates more easily or simply remains insignificant within the immense space of our mind. An example from my personal life about this, not long ago, the situation with my Parents, my mother, my father, was such that there was a lot to do for me in helping them in different ways. And no matter how much I did from my inner evaluation judge, it was never enough. And I'm sure many of you have had or have or will have a very similar situation like that, maybe with your older parents or some other family member. So whenever I remembered, for example, at the end of the day, to dedicate all my efforts, all the things I did uh, for my mother, for my father at that day, and of course... Uh, had to acknowledge them first uh, and dedicate all that to the happiness and freedom from suffering for all beings. Then I had to let go of these very convincing feelings of guilt and there was much more a sense of uh, openness and connectedness actually with a much broader sense of uh, of beings another way of dedication from the tibetan tradition that i find very wonderful whenever we experience something unpleasant and with it having the tendency of wanting to get rid of it we practice to connect instead of habitually imprisoning ourselves in our narrow, lonely world, we learn to open in that moment. May all beings who experience pain as I do right now be free from their painful experience. Or when we feel desperate, may my despair help others to be free from it. And whenever we have a pleasant experience and the appreciation of it perhaps turns into grasping or holding on, we again, we practice giving it away. May all beings enjoy happiness, success and good fortune as I do in this moment. So generosity may manifest in all these different forms as material gifts, gifts of the heart, of 
dharma, of kindness, forgiveness, tolerance, of dedication. It's a very powerful quality and practice that releases us from our cocoon life, our solitary confinement, our self-centered evaluations and calculations into a life of interconnectedness and freedom. And I'd like to end with a quotation by Potova, a Tibetan Kadam master of the 11th century. And I like it a lot, this quotation, because he says that by practicing something seemingly insignificant, trivial even, we can realize the most wonderful, the most beautiful. By cultivating the habit of giving away the trivial, such as a needle and thread, one will come to be able to give away anything without attachment. Just like to repeat that. By cultivating the habit of giving away the trivial, such as a needle and thread, one will come to be able to give away anything without attachment. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org dot org slash donate.